Hey, it's Scott Orner, Cruise Consulting, and thanks for joining us on Founders and Friends for another awesome podcast. Let's give a quick shout out to the Cruise Consulting accounting team. We're very fortunate. We have a ton of people at Cruise who work on the monthly books for our clients and get them all set up, due diligence ready, rocking every month, answering all the clients' questions, making all those adjustments. And there's no better moment for a founder and for us, really, when founder says, hey, I think I'm going to get a term sheet. Are my books ready for diligence? And we get to say, yes, they are. Fire away. Send them over. Give them access. That is a great feeling. It's the feeling that lets us know we've done a job very well done. And nothing is better than watching that cash hit the bank account. So if you are a venture-backed startup, you're going out to fundraise, maybe check us out. Check us out at cruiseconsulting.com. We love what we do. At taping here, I think we have 575 clients. Clients raise over a billion dollars this year. So we know what we're doing. And hopefully we can help you be successful in your fundraise. All right, let's get to the podcast. Thanks. So when your troubles are mounting in tax or accounting, you go to Cruise Founders and Friends. It's Cruise Consulting. Founders and Friends with your host, Scotty Orn. Welcome to Founders and Friends podcast with Scott Orn at Cruise Consulting. And today my very special guest is Alex Song of Ramp. Welcome, Alex. Hey there, how's it going? Going pretty well. We're both very fortunate that our, our uh, companies are doing well. And we're, I think both of us got on the on the thing here being a little, uh, maybe me a little more frazzled. You, you are a common collective, but, uh, but life's good. And uh, I should note that I was, this is like a home and away thing here. I was on the Ramp podcast. I don't know when it's going to come out. And uh, you graciously agreed to do the Cruise podcast. So great to have you. And uh, maybe you can start off just by retracing your career here a little bit and, and tell us all how you ended up at Ramp and, and what was so awesome about Ramp. Yeah, for sure. Uh, first of all, thanks so much for having me on the podcast. I mean, I'm a podcast amateur compared to you. I mean, you've obviously done so oh, many no. more episodes, oh, no. uh, but obviously, <laughs> really, you know, really appreciate your being, you know, a, a guest on, on our thing um, a few weeks yeah. ago. But um yeah, you know, the, uh, the quick introduction here is that I lead finance and, and capital markets here at Ramp. My journey before that was um, pretty different. You know, this is my first fintech company. This is my first operating role. It's my first time leading a finance team of any sort. Uh, believe it or not, I started out my career in the depths of the of the great financial crisis. And my first job was trading bonds, trading mortgage bonds on Wall Street. No yeah, way. yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, imagine that. That's awesome. Imagine that. I started. What what mortgage stats were you on? I was I was at Morgan Stanley, right? I started Morgan yeah, Stanley. Okay. Started yeah. my career at Morgan Stanley. This is this is in you know summer of two thousand nine. This is you know n- not the full dip, but this is as bottom as it gets, right? And yeah, yeah, you're kind of lucky you <laughs> were able to get the job then, right? Because weren't they like starting to cut like all the Wall Street? Trading operations were like cutting people and things like that. So what they told us was this was the smallest analyst class at Morgan Stanley yeah. Yeah. in 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 that decade. It was um, it was a very very small class. I was very fortunate. Joined the desk, traded mortgages, traded interest rates, uh, U.S. government bonds, etc. For a couple of years, it was a it was a hugely formative experience. Um, I liked it a lot. I still keep in touch with a lot of the guys there on the desk, and. I uh, moved over to the buy side for a few years. Well, real fast, because yeah. I only because I find this so interesting. So I have a, a couple of good friends that traded one at, at Barclays and one at JP Morgan during that exact time. Yeah. 
correct me if I'm wrong, but it was like once you once you got through that crazy crash, it was like the opportunity of a lifetime, right? Like, weren't you sitting there going like, these things are so distressed. They're like ten cents on the dollar. Like, I had friends who made their clients hundreds of millions of dollars because they're just like, these are the ones that are good. These are the bonds that are good. These are the bonds are bad. The, and and the market was so indiscriminate that it, everything was trading at ten cents on a dollar. It, didn't it kind of like shape you said as a formative moment like didn't it didn't it show you that like out of the depths of that kind of stuff comes great opportunity like pretty cool right for the next decade right you you did yeah. you did one thing and that that was the thing i learned how to do which is buy duration and sell convexity and sell volatility right and it turns out mortgages are a great instrument to actually do that exact thing yeah totally you're, you're absolutely right. Yeah. I mean, it was, you know, maybe maybe good timing, maybe bad timing, you know, I think culturally or maybe just the, the environment. I mean, who knows? But certainly from a commercial perspective, it was uh, obviously the beginning, the beginning of the, the great bull run. Amazing experience. So you went to the buy side. And sorry for interrupting you there. Yeah, no, I, I went to the buy side. Uh, I joined a company based in Boston called Bank Capital, um, large private equity firm. Also uh, traded mortgages there for a number of years as well. And, and by the way, you're absolutely right. Uh, we bought a lot of stuff. Keep going. We bought a lot of stuff and uh, stuff went up. And it was it was a nice couple of years, right? It was the macro environment was very, very helpful. I mean, that, that, that was the strategy, right? They, they had made a bet coming out of the crisis. This is a strategy that we pursue. Make investments, wait for things to go up. Uh, and then subsequently, I uh, spent a couple years there, and then I actually went to business school. So I stayed in Boston, went to Harvard, spent two years there. And then coming out of business school, I believe it or not, of all things, I went back into structured credit. So more of the same, asset-backed securities, mortgage-backed securities, in a very roundabout fashion, that actually is the thing that led me to ramp. Um, I had spent a lot of time investing in fintech lenders, fintech businesses, specialty finance, mm. Uh, companies always on the lending side, right? So always on the bond, on the fixed income, on the credit side. Yeah. And so yeah. I got, a, a, I would say a slightly di different view into the the fintech world, right? I had spent a lot of time with folks like Upgrade and Upstart and Lending Club, uh, as well as, you know, solar panel lenders, right? So a lot of those guys out there, yeah. uh, you know, Subprime Auto. You don't know this about me, but I, when I worked at, I worked at Lighthouse Capital Venture Lending Fund, and I was like on that, in the same mode you were, like early, early online fintech. Yeah. And all those companies, it was, it was another one of these like 10-year trends, right? Or 15-year trends where like, People were pioneering customer acquisition and underwriting over the internet. And it was very, very powerful. And uh, yeah, crazy, right? Like it's crazy how much opportunity is like right in front of your eyes on this stuff. I think there was a cycle play there too, by the way, because coming out of the crisis, yeah. coming out of the crisis, yeah. you had a lot of people who could not get credit, right? Could not get totally. any liquidity, any leverage. And if you were the first few, right, consumer lenders out there, that really was able to underwrite these guys, give out good loans, low risk, high return. That was the beginning of that cycle, right? And that is how, by the way, that's how uh, that's how LendingStart got started, right? It perfectly timed the cycle. I remember that. I remember when they started the company because we we had done on deck, which is I think a, a competitor, and they were like subprime business yeah, lending. Yeah. But every a lot of companies were subprime back then because of the and. 
you know, I had, I had done Zest Finance in LA and had just, you know, and when you're doing private equity or lending or investment, you lose deals too, right? Like you just don't always win every deal you want to be in. So I lost a few high profile ones too. And then I was friends with the head of head of high net worth at Lending Club and the head of institutional at Lending Club as they built that up and just total rocket ships, you know? Also, by the way, I want to just say this now. I feel like ramp is at the at one of the beginning in one of these 10 year cycles too. I'm, I'm excited to talk about that, but like you've had a track record of picking these things and you've, you've uh, not stumbled upon, you found another one. That's, that's pretty cool going forward <laughs> as well. I, I don't know about founder stumbled upon or what, I mean, I, I got pretty lucky. I, um, so yeah, I did FinTech investing, did FinTech lending for a number of years, right? And I think it was uh, a little bit of serendipity, a lot of mutual friends and some good luck found my way to, to ramp, which is, you know, where I've been now for, for just under two years. The transition was, it was incredible. I mean, I, I think, you know, just, just having gotten to know the industry, gotten to know the, just the quality and the velocity and how quickly these companies were getting built, finding product market fit, finding scale, right? I, I think coming from Wall Street, you can't not you know, feel a little bit of FOMO at some point, right? Oh, so yeah, yeah. so, so I, I would say it's it's been a pretty tremendous move uh, for me personally. The way I kind of describe it is like, because um, I made a similar move seven years ago, and I describe it as like you when you're investing in companies, you're kind of living vicariously through the people who are building those companies. And you're like at the board meeting and getting the updates and you're super happy for them. And it does, it's exciting. But when you're actually working inside the company, it's a... A, it's a whole nother level of stress. It's vastly more stressful yes. than, you know, being an investor. But you also have this like amazing pay payback, and you also get to work and mentor with a lot of people who are building it with you. And uh, that's why I didn't fully. Re I had like investing banking background too until I got to cruise, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is actually like so rewarding. And like my worst days or my my most busiest days here are way way worse than the um than the investing side but like my best days are like 5x better than the investing side and so it's, it's cool it's cool to hear you kind of found the same thing and, and are living that life now that's totally right uh it is rewarding right and that's that's like the the 50 percent, right that's just like you know half the reason why i took this job was just that i think investing is a little bit lonely right sometimes if you if you work at a hedge fund you're yeah. kind of just grinding out your own your day-to-day -day. and n now you know you're at a 270 person company and there's guys walking around everywhere and you're also managing a, a reasonably sized team and uh just managing the personalities just being a good listener and being you know working with other humans right it's it's a yeah. new skill set i totally agree well maybe you could give everyone the high level i mean i we use ramp all the time and we've got tons of customers on ramp but Maybe give everyone just the the quick description if they're a newbie and, and thinking about checking out Ramp. I think a lot of folks probably you know, listening to this or, or watching this, you probably heard of Ramp. We're predominantly known for our cards and spend management, but you know over the last uh, two and a half, almost three years, we've become a lot more. Our company now, I think, does a great job of uh, helping our customers out with all facets of finance automation. Right, I think uh, the spend management piece was uh, was our first core product. Right, savings insights, card controls, financial controls, and uh, transparency, uh, getting the data at your fingertips. Now we do. Uh, if I may interject, making the life of your friendly accountants easier. Yeah, too, there you go. That's all those that's the like, main thing. It, honest, like everyone, 
most people tend to think about things from the the client or the business side, but like the key search providers, like your CPA firm, like make ramp has made our life infinitely easier. I was just on a little ramp before we turned the the recording on about like how much better ramp is than Amex and chase. And I like even made a video about it on YouTube because it was, we've, we fought this battle for a long time. And when ramp appeared, the integrations in the QuickBooks, the automation, some of the automatic uh, categorization, all that stuff. We have software tools to handle that with an Amex or Chase, but like to not even have to dip into that, to, to like just be able to rely on the data integrity and the ease of use is really, really powerful. And it, it saves us a ton of time and it saves our clients a lot of money because we don't have to like jack up our fees constantly on them because we can handle the volume through Ramp. That tool helps a lot. Accountants love us. What, what can I say? It, it's true. <laughs> it's true. You should have like a bumper sticker like that or something. Yeah. 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 Get a get a sweatshirt. Get some free swag. But um, yeah. So now we have bill pay and personal reimbursements and everything else, right? We rolled out our travel module recently. Um, we released a Chrome extension as well, so it makes it a little bit easier oh. for folks to start using our stuff. Just natively in their browsers, right? Um, everything for us is just about savings, whether it's money or time or complexity yep. or, you know, so so that the, the concept of efficiencies and savings uh, is is huge. That is the end all be all for, for us. Yeah. And again, we've got, I don't even know, we've got tons of clients on ramp and it's been great for us. Maybe one of the cool things, so I think, and I do think a lot of people listening to this have probably heard about you or tried you out and understand the virtual cards and some of the other benefits of the virtual card stuff is just being able to spin up new cards really easily and putting limits on those so that people don't abuse them. And you guys do offer the expense reports, but being able to like get away from expense reports also is, is really nice. So there's just a ton of stuff that makes it so much easier. But you, you mentioned when you're describing the company that you actually have a couple new things coming out. And so I thought we'd kind of talk about that. And the first one was just the travel capabilities. Maybe you can spend a, a minute or two describing what you what you folks have built and how it makes people's life easier. We we punted on this thing for a while, by the way. Um, you can probably you can you can probably guess why that is. We so Ramp launched for those of you who don't know. Uh, Ramp launched in February of 2020. So wow, it's so, only been two years. That's crazy. So, so nobody was traveling then, right? If you think about it, mm-hmm. and we we launched and then we immediately went into lockdown. And uh, I mean, I can sh- I can share it. A little bit of data with you. Um, when we first launched, in terms of where our customers were spending, it was it was nothing on travel entertainment. I mean, it was it yeah, was sub one yeah. percent, sub two percent, something like that, yep. right? And you know, right? Historically, for guys like Amex and Chase, that's thirty to forty percent of their business is oh is totally. Amex has a huge travel yeah. program, you know? Yeah, yeah. So it's never been a big portion of our value proposition for a while because people weren't weren't doing it right. And, and imagine coming out of uh, kind of the pandemic and, and lockdown, people are now, you know, and we see it in, in the volumes, right? I think uh, travel and entertainment and whatnot, uh, spending volumes have multiplied by probably three or four or five X since um, totally. where it was yeah. even a year or two years ago. And we made a concerted effort, let's put it that way, uh, last couple months to build out the beginnings of a very, very nice and slick uh, travel module, a lot of information scraping, a lot of transparency. Again, AI-assisted travel solution, basically, 
Um, if you're making travel awesome. bookings, keeping track of it, you know, just so everyone you know knows where you are, how much you're spending, uh, and, and whatnot. It makes it simple. The other things about that is like having it in one place is so much better because everyone can access. Like your finance team can just access it in general, and then that's one of those areas that people let like expense reports or things like that really build up. And so by putting it on the ramp card and pushing it through the ramp system, you actually like, it's beneficial to the people who are doing all the traveling because they're not having to do like all these expense reports like six months later when they can't even remember or they lose a bunch of receipts or things like that. And then also it has like a real time aspect to the financials being done because like there's nothing worse for us than sitting around waiting for like expense reports to be done before we can close the books for a given month. I can't tell you how many companies have have driven us crazy and driven themselves crazy because they're not they're doing it the old school way. And so the books don't get closed. And then it's like it's just like this really negative cycle. So the integration to like the regular expense management tool is is phenomenal and it, I think people underestimate that real-time aspect of it. That's really, really nice. Real-time notifications, real-time authorizations. We, totally. yeah, we, yeah. we believe in, in the concept of real-time. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Did you just roll this out or what's, what's, how new is it? And are you seeing uptake there? Two weeks and... in. We're two weeks in. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, that's exciting. It, We're breaking news. Yeah, now, yeah, yeah. Um, no, it is. Podcast. It is. Uh, we're two weeks in. People have been very, very happy with it. And internally here at Ramp, we've been using it for uh, months now, right? And we've seen it from, from you know, a very, very rough beginning. We've seen it evolve over time. And I'm sure that six months from now or a year from now, this thing's going to look, uh, you know, 100 times better than, yeah. than even today. Yeah, 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 yeah. You guys are good at getting something out in the market that works and then iterating on it and, and improving it. I give you a lot of credit for that. Like whoever they – you can send this to the engineering team and tell them they're doing a good job because – we see that iteration because because we're the people who are in that tool all the time, you know. Yeah. And so it, it actually we appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It's 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 kind of funny because we you basically you code your travel policy into RAM, right? Yeah. Where you yeah. can fly, when you can fly, how much you can spend, what classes you can, and and what's funny, like occasionally it's it's all it's happened only a few times, but occasionally my boss. Uh, books a flight using his card that would be out of policy, you know. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, what are you, whoa, what are you doing? You're booking economy plus. I'm like, no, 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 you can't be doing that. And what's funny is this gets sent to all the admins, right, on the on our ramp. So, which, yeah, it's a lot of people. I mean, there's a lot of people who are who are getting these kind of goofy warnings and reminders, and it's just it's it's very funny. Just the last couple of months of of testing this thing. But you know, that's the cool thing about eating your own dog food is you really, you learn a lot about how things really work. That's, that's really cool. I love it. And it's also a good cultural signal, you know, where no one's above it and everyone plays by the same set of rules, which I, I'm a big fan of. So, so that's pretty neat. So, the, so it sounds like the travel is going really well. Hey, it's Scott Orn, and we're going to take a quick break from the podcast to give a shout out to the cruise tax team. Gosh, it's so nice to have an in-house taxi. I can't even tell you. Uh, we have some really amazing professionals on the team. It's over, I think it's 13 people now. And we do everything from your federal state income tax return, state franchise tax filings, R&D tax credits. Those are pretty popular these days. And guess what? They're there for you when you go through diligence. A lot of people don't know this, but you actually go through tax diligence, not just operational kind of financial diligence, but you do go through tax diligence. So it's nice to have... Vanessa Cruz on the phone with your VCs 
And with the accounting firm, they hire to diligence all your stuff. And the law firm, they hire to diligence all your stuff. Vanessa knows what she's doing. She's done this a million times. And, uh, and not, it's not just Vanessa. We have a really great team of tax professionals that will do those calls too. It's, it's kind of sometimes the difference between getting around closed or having it take another two weeks because something was disorganized and the tax compliance wasn't done correctly. We hear those horror stories from clients that come to us. So, hey, if you want Cruz's tax team on your side, we're here for you. Check us out at cruiseconsulting.com. Thanks. And then when we were talking before we turned the microphones on, you I didn't know you you folks were doing this, but there's an even bigger kind of thing coming down the pipe here for Ramp. The crypto. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah, the crypto. People, people have been asking us about crypto for a while, right? Crypto rewards, crypto cards, uh, you know, whatever it may be. And and we know that there's, you know, it's obviously it's 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 had a tremendous kind of bull run for for quite some time. So yeah, we we're actually we've deployed a, a substantial portion of our corporate treasury. So this is just our cash, right? Uh, into stable coins. So we did a lot of work over the last couple of months on USDC specifically, uh, how that ecosystem all worked, um, who are the the service providers there that we could potentially work with, um, what are the liquidity, what are the risk, what are the duration profiles. And uh, when all said and done, we decided essentially to allocate a portion of our corporate treasury, invest in a, a little bit of stable coins, and we're generating quite tremendous yield there. It falls into you know a similar bucket as just corporate bonds or treasuries or money market funds, except you know uh, instead of making fifty basis points, you're making you know five, six, seven, eight percent, right, yeah. depending on the. Uh, kind of the exact instrument. So uh, we we did that, and I, I think we're probably one of the you know early adopters, one of the first movers in, in doing something like this. And I love the concept. I've always been working like you and I speak the same language and probably have the same fears about like that kind of stuff. What I've never been able to understand, I've talked to a lot of people about this, is the counterparty risk. So maybe maybe we need to walk people through like how it works, but like. You put the cash, American dollars or whatever currency, into USDC, and then that that USDC can be lent out to other people, right? And that's how you generate a yield. But so that all makes perfect sense to me, and I love it. the The thing I've never been able to get clarity on is the counterparty risk on who you're lending out that USDC to, mm-hmm. because it seems kind of like this big black box. I've had a lot of people be like, "Oh." There's these crypto traders who use it for leverage or hedge funds use it for leverage or things like that. But all things that kind of make me a little nervous. So how did like you you and I come from the same everything? Like, how did you get comfortable with this? You know, what's interesting is that, I mean, first of all, you're certainly relying on very, very specific, very strict, you know, AML, KYC. You these are not just, you know, fly by night, you know, whoever it is. Right. Um, and, and generally, you're going to have to trust in the process that at least you're weeding out, I, I don't know, weapons traffickers or rogue states and whoever yeah. else, right? I mean, clearly, yeah. that's that's a no-brainer. But the thing that that actually hedges out some of the counterparty risks that you're referring to is actually these these loans, specifically these loans, are, are over-collateralized. So what that means is if I'm yeah. lending out one USDC, I'm actually, again, depending on who you're talking to, I might be getting one and a half to three yeah. dollars yeah. worth of Bitcoin or, or ETH or something else, right? That collateralizes my loan. So what does that mean? Well, if I'm 3X over collateralized, that means Bitcoin could literally fall 
66.66%. Yep. And and I'm still yep. made yep. whole, right? I can still get my get my yeah. assets back. Because the system kind of like automatically sells it, right? It's almost like a margin call, basically. Is how it's it securities works. lending. Um, it is yeah. securities lending. So the only thing, and I, I, I'm coming, I, this is like genuine interest because we, we get asked this question and I, I, I'm a finance, I'm like a CFA, MBA, love this stuff. So some of the people who advertise, who I've talked to are like, oh, way over collateralized, way over collateralized. And I'll be like, what's the collateralization ratio? And they're like 125%, meaning there's like a 25% collateralization, which to me is a little worrisome because like the 3X example I love because you're over, you're over allocated by a lot. It really has to crash. But like, I always just worry about like, if it's not over collateralized enough, like 25% doesn't seem like enough to me the market gaps down and all of a sudden you're kind of left holding the bag that that would so like is it basically like what you what you do or what what got you comfortable with is you look for like higher collateralization rates it sounds like higher collateralization rates is one thing the other thing is i actually would urge you know if you if you're interested or any of the listeners are interested go talk to these guys the the loan desks the lending desks out there the people who are yeah. actually doing yeah. these loans and you will find that um, you know some of them are pretty good, some of them are you know maybe not so good. But what you'll find probably is probably like everything. <laughs> yeah, what you'll find is that yeah. um, your liquidation protocol is everything, right? How fast yeah. are you? What are the guardrails that you're drawing, right? Because if, if your over collateralization was only twenty five percent, but if your liquidation protocol is like a maybe like a one percent band, well then yeah. you're, you're going. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, you're going. You know, that's a really good point. I didn't think about that. Like the what the liquidation limit is or something like that, like wh when they have to take action. That's actually a really smart way of thinking about it. How yeah. fast can they do yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Do they have traders who are on call 24-7? Is it global? Yeah. Um, is it being done by a human or a machine? Um, these are all, you know, kind of nuances, right, that could make it more or less risky. I have a, I have a simple question that you can probably answer that I just don't know. Can you, like, you have, you, you know, you have this arrangement with the loan desk and things like that. Are you allowed to like dictate what collateral you'll take? Like you might, like for example, you might say, I only want to take my collateral in Bitcoin and Ethereum instead of like maybe some new thing or, you know, it's like, is there that kind of lever as well? Yes, 100%. Uh, you can create custom okay. solutions, but but here's the thing, right? If you create custom solutions, you make it too, too draconian, then maybe no one wants your business, right? Or, yeah. or, or, right? Or the rate is just so low. Too hard to deal with. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, or, the, yeah. or the rate is just way lower, right? If, I mean, you could ask for 20x yeah. over collateralization, but then the guy is just, well, no, I, I don't want that deal, right? Their effective, their effective cost of capital is way too yeah. high in that situation, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. 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 That's, this is really cool. So now, is this something you're making available to clients or is this just like, the ramp balance sheet right now, and then you're kind of figuring it out. It's more the latter. It's right now, it's just the ramp balance sheet, but we're doing a ton of yeah. work in the space and we're trying to figure out, at the end of the day, right? How much demand is is there? How user-friendly could we make it if if we want to do that at all? And we're, we're going to be very deliberate, you know, as we are with, you know, I don't know, just whatever, a lot of things, but even more so when it comes to crypto, right? We just want to be yeah. very deliberate and, and very thoughtful about how we approach this. So nothing, yeah. you know, on the horizon yet uh, for as far as product or customer. You also might need to figure out like how deep the market is. Like if, uh, you know, can this absorb $500 million of deposits or a billion dollars of deposits or a hundred billion dollars of deposits? Yeah. Is it worth our time kind of thing? Yeah, that's cool. That's cool that you're doing that though. That's really awesome. I have to be respectful of your time here. So 
probably need to wrap it up, but maybe you could just tell everyone how to reach out to Ramp if they want to be a customer, how to get in touch with you if they want to talk USDC <laughs> or travel policy. You're not the guy, I'm joking, I'm joking. You're not the guy for that. But uh, yeah, how do they get in touch with Ramp and, and what's the best kind of way of getting of uh, reaching out? Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, you know, www.ramp.com. I mean, that's, you know, apply, do a demo, whatever it is, you know, we are more than happy to to engage. We've got a very active social media Twitter handle, uh, TriRamp. So, uh, you know, go ahead and, and kind of take a look. And then, you know, you can reach me. It's pretty easy to guess our, our emails here at Ramp. We're still a very small company, <laughs> but you can reach me at, you know, just a song at uh, ramp.com. And so there's that. And then the other, another very exciting thing that's actually coming up on the horizon is uh, Ramp is hosting our first ever conference, Future of Finance Conference, oh, awesome. Miami. First week. Of May? Yeah, that's right. Come see us in person. You know, it'll be our first live event. Does that coincide? I heard there's like a Formula One race out there too. Is that coincide? Uh, conveniently, it is the the week before. Oh, nice. Yeah. So people can stay. They can they can go to the conference and then stay for the Formula One, basically. Maybe, yeah. If you if you want to, yeah. Wow. There you go. That's awesome. I just started watching that Netflix show. That's why I'm uh, crazy about it. So Miami is going um, to be insane. I mean that that whole week, uh, that whole weekend yeah. is going to be absurd. Yeah, that's going to be awesome. Well, Alex, thank you so much. Give a shout out to Ramp and all the people there, especially the engineers who make our life. And I should also mention your customer service people, implementation people. That's actually, the engineers are great, but the customer service and implementation people are really good and we really appreciate them. Because, you know, when we have, we have, when our one of our clients has a problem, they reach out to us and then we're trying to troubleshoot it. And so you guys make us look smart and make us look like, like we've got the keys to the kingdom. We really appreciate that. So thank you for, to that team as well. I'm gonna I'm gonna out. pass that along to Tony. He's the man. Oh, totally. He's the man. Totally. He's uh, all things you know, customer yeah. support related. That's awesome. It makes a huge difference. All right, man. Great talking to you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. So when your troubles are mounting in tax or accounting, you go to Cruise. Founders and friends. It's Cruise Consulting. Founders and friends with your host Scotty. Oh. Scotty.